Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks, that's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keuchel Lampson got some beers that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner... Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome into a winning edition of the Sox on Tap postgame show. It's Tony Marchese alongside NWI Steve. We're going to talk about a White Sox winner tonight. We're going to crack them. We're going to crack them right now. It's Saturday night, Steve. Uh, Cheers, my friend. Cowboy hats are on for Johnny Cueto tonight. Johnny Cueto did a fucking fantastic job pitching for our Chicago White Sox tonight, Steve. I'm ecstatic about it. That's why we've got the cowboy hats on. Budweiser's are out. I don't know what you're sipping on, but uh, I'm, I'm I'm having me a little nooner. A little nooner. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's that works. That works. We've got uh, we've got drinks flowing in the socks on tap post game show as they should be. They're victory beers because victory beers taste better than misery beers. Be sure you're following the show at socks on tap on Twitter. Get into the YouTube. Get into the comments. I see a few of them already coming in tonight. Uh, get into the comments. Follow us. Oh, no. at Jordan Ontap Miller's Sportsnet. in here. Oh, God. Yep. At ONTAP Sportsnet on the YouTube. Get in here and uh, get in the comment section so we can interact with you during the show. Follow myself at Tony ONTAP. Steve at NWI underscore Steve. It's a good night. White Sox win 2 nothing over the Cleveland Guardians. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot to break down from this ballgame, Steve. Let me get your initial reaction. Hey, yo, Anthony, my initial reaction is this. Johnny Nutsack went out there again today, Mr. John Cueto, and he just dropped him on the Guardians once again, what he has been doing all season long. This guy, you know, his last outing went out there in postgame commentary, said, fuck it, let's just keep competing. That's all this guy does is go out there and compete. He shows you what a true veteran at the major league level, is supposed to be. He goes out there. He doesn't have the flash. He doesn't have the stuff that Dylan Cease or that Michael Kopech has. And all he does is just get people out. And you fucking love to see it. He is a goddamn bulldog out there. And I love it. I love every minute of it. I do as well, Stephen. Uh, I really do. It, it To me, I was watching this ball game, and it kind of – you talk about the veteran presence, the guy that just knows how to get things done, a guy who goes out there and just shoves. It, it kind of looks to me, Stephen, like this for Johnny Cueto at this point in his career is like going out and playing darts or pool or bowling on Thursday night. You know, every week he just comes out there and he's going to give you that quality stuff. He knows his way around the league. He knows how to be a professional. He's showing up and he's having fun. Everything else for him is is just in the side. He knows what he needs to do. Every single time he takes them out, he gives you a quality start. I mean, he might be the best dart thrower, bowler, pool player 
in any single league that he would show up to. He just happens to do it in Major League fucking baseball. And there's Johnny Cueto for your Chicago White Sox. What a wonderful thing uh, this has turned into uh, for Rick Kahn and the White Sox in terms of his uh, repertoire of signing uh, free agents, you know? Who would have thought in late March when this signing was announced that John Cueto would show up on his horse and be the knight, the white knight, that this rotation and in some ways this roster so desperately, desperately needs. He's the voice of reason. He is the voice of fire and passion because all that guy wants to do is go out there and fucking win baseball games. Yeah, I wonder if the Chicago Bears are going to look for another head coach at some point, Steve. I think uh, Johnny Cueto would make an excellent uh, football coach. He just likes to go out there, like you said, with the fire or the passion. Uh, he knows I mean, how to listen, win they, games. Yeah, Johnny I Cueto would, would just you know ride his horse up and down. Uh, well, they're not going to be at Soldier Field too. Long, I, I, I wouldn't. I know I you're big on on Chicago football sports coaches. Listen, so I, could I Johnny Cueto. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to stop here. I wouldn't wish that on my guy, John Cueto, right there, to go to such a poorly run organization that devalues the family, that has no moral fiber, that took a fine family man like my head coach, Matt Nagy, one of three coaches in the Super Bowl era, to take that pathetic franchise to the playoffs multiple times, and they just discarded him with no compassion whatsoever. We're bringing I would, fire here. I, I would not wish that on John Cueto. He is a humanitarian. He's a great human being. You know, he he might be in the in the running for a Nobel Peace Prize at some point here. I wouldn't wish that loser organization on someone like John Cueto. Wow. Considering all the things that you have to say, Stephen, about the White Sox organization, that's pretty pretty demeaning and just straight to the point about how you feel about a certain team that plays over on Lakeshore Drive. Uh, I can't wait till the Chicago Jaguars are here so I can bust out my Mark Brunel jersey from when I was a kid. No, oh, I, I know you've been you've been waiting for that to happen. I, I absolutely know it, but we need to get back to some White Sox baseball talk. And in terms of White Sox baseball talk, it's the Johnny Cueto show. Johnny be good. Johnny was spectacular tonight. And that's got me in a cowboy hat kind of mood, Steve. Like I said, when we started this Cowboy Hats for Cueto, he goes eight and two-thirds in this ball game, doesn't give up a run. Just this is unbelievable stuff, man. And, and you kind of hinted on it uh, about how he comes out and just shows you that that veteran presence, that, that stuff that you don't get from the rest of this White Sox rotation. I'm pretty sure he's wearing a Randy Moss jersey right now if we want to keep it on the football theme steve i feel pretty confident in that i also feel confident that john cueto has no idea who the hell randy moss is but that's okay that's that's totally fine because you know what he earned it like i said he went out there and he just dropped his nuts all over progressive field tonight and it didn't matter steven kwan jose ramirez josh naylor fuck all of them that's what john cueto said it's fantastic to see and the white Sox needed this one this is obviously a must-win ball game you and johnny were on the show last night steven and uh the vibes were definitely not as as pleasant they as were they not great right bob they were not they were not and steve 
I know you have long said the White Sox have their problems, and and they they definitely have throughout the course of this season. Put into perspective for the listeners, how important was this ball game for this White Sox ball club? Well, you know they lose this game tonight, and they fall the five back in the loss column, and it guarantees Cleveland a victory in the season series, giving them a tiebreaker in the head-to-head aspect of things. So in some ways, you could almost say that that would put them six games back. So to get this one here today, get the series back to even, was very pivotal. Be able to stop this three-game losing streak, uh, coming off those final two games of the series against Houston, and then obviously the debacle last night. So they needed to get back on track, needed to get back into that all-important left-hand column that we talk about so much on this show every single night. So this is a big one here. Forecast in in Cleveland tomorrow, not looking great. So there's a good chance they may not get this ball game in. I know they're going to try to fight like hell to do it. Got the early start tomorrow with the uh, classic broadcast over on Pistic. I mean, Peacock. Um, so, you know, get your rest because it's going to be a quick turnaround here. And let me tell you, Dylan Cease on the mound tomorrow. If they get this one in, this is a big one. So evening this series up tonight. That was huge. Johnny Cueto showed what it's all about. Absolutely, Steve. And I know we jumped ahead of ourselves a little bit here just talking about I got excited. Okay. Yeah, you got a little you got a little excited. Uh we've got we've got some things to talk about in this ball game. There's a lot to break down from it, but I wanted to set the tone, Steve. I wanted to set the tone for the rest of the episode on just how important this ball game was. Listen, if I'm all about one thing. And our listeners know it's about hashtag set the tone. Absolutely. So let's get into the White Sox offense here just a little bit. Because you needed offense to win this ball game, And the White Sox got just enough on the back of Johnny Cueto here. Silent through five once again. A couple of opportunities were out there. Um, probably not the most important things that we need to talk about and dissect, but for all intents and purposes, if you've watched a White Sox game this season, you've seen them before. Get into the sixth inning, Steve, and the White Sox are able to scratch one across from Mr. Jose MVP Abreu. Let's talk about that run. Let me hear your thoughts. Jose Abreu is the backbone of this team obviously the power production this year is not where it has historically been but if there's one guy that you feel like you can count on when you need to get a run across the boat it's jose abreu still and in that spot going up against shane bieber a guy that he's actually had pretty good success against historically throughout his career smokes that ball to dead center and then la pantera luis Coming back the, in the lineup. The only way that people knew that this broadcast didn't break is because your eyes moved a couple of times while you were doing that. But you 
you held that. That had some longevity. It was fantastic, Steve. We haven't had an R roll in a long time, and it feels good we need to it. hear an R roll on this broadcast, man. It feels good to have the R roll hashtag back. It, it it is good to have that hashtag back, and and so to see him him out there utilizing that speed that he's got, being able to score from first on that ball that Abreu hit. You know, it's talked about frequently that when you get out in front, when you are the team that scores first, you win. I want to say it's like 55 to 56% of the time. So that first run is very pivotal. And especially when you're going up against a guy like Shane Bieber, who is a former Cy Young Award winner and one of the top pitchers in the sport, you get on him early. That's important. Now, granted, it was only the one run here, but listen, John Cueto, Johnny Nutsack. He made it hold up tonight. He did. We got a nice little comment in here from our guy Voodoo clapping for that R roll. And, you know, I I just want to go back to this because people were talking about this one. I was waiting for Luis Robert not to be in today's lineup just to see how mad online people would get. Cause you know, I love that. I love seeing the mad online. Sox Twitter is never hashtag mad online. I don't know what you're talking about, Anthony. Well, that's why there's a mad online meter. I love the Mad Online meter. It's one of my favorite things. I love seeing people get so mad about stuff. That's why I think that hashtag sad Steve is one of my favorite versions of, of NWI Steve. It's because I love seeing people get mad online and care about this team. I love it. It's the fire and passion, right? You talked about the fire and passion a little bit earlier. I love the Mad Online. So I thought the Mad Online meter was going to get pretty high today because you saw – Eloy Jimenez leave yesterday's ball game after he swung a bat and my guy Ozzy Guillen had choice words for him on the post game. You guys had some choice words for him on the Sox on tap post game. A lot of people had words about Eloy Jimenez on Twitter.com. And then he's back in the lineup today. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me people on Twitter.com had, they had thoughts words. on they things? Had thoughts. Yes. They did. That's big news if true. I don't know. I'm 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 reading that timeline pretty frequently. I think they had some some thoughts on some things, Steve. And then I mean, here we go today. That'll happen. Here we go today. Andrew Vaughn, who gets hit in the face, says that he's going to be in the lineup. Not in the lineup. Voodoo back again here, working to confirm. This is fantastic stuff. Listen, uh, I love when when the listeners are reaching out to multiple sauces, yes. working to confirm things. We're going to talk know? about some sauces stuff later, Steve, because Ooh. we've got to we've got to call out some sauces that didn't come through. Oh man, we've got to like call out some. Go- I don't like where this is going. We've got to call out some sauces that didn't come through later on in the show. Uh, but Steve, Andrew Vaughn not in the lineup. When he says he's going to be in the lineup, our guy, Jonathan Nonathan, Mr. Johnny Nani, is out there reporting on Andrew Vaughn, telling people that he's going to be in the lineup. Then the lineup comes out. Andrew Vaughn not in the lineup. Luis Robert, who's been day-to-day for what feels like forever. Ten days now. It's been 84 years. been 84 years since Luis Robert has played a baseball game. That's how it feels. He's back in the lineup today. Eloy Jimenez, who left a ball game yesterday, 
is in the lineup, but Andrew Vaughn, who they said it was just a bruise, not in the lineup. You, you know, can't make that you can't make that shit up. You know, listen, um, it was an interesting choice, to say the least. I mean, Fortun- go back. Fortun- what did you? What, what were your instant reactions to that lineup? My instant reaction was, "What the fuck are we doing here?" You know, I talked about this last night with National Treasure, Mister Jonathan Nani, and basically said that, you know, Yasmani Grandal has really become unplayable at this point, and the idea of him being in the lineup, whether you know, especially DHing um, when Sebi Zavala is catching, is a, a fireable offense from Sleepy McDrunkface in the dugout, but um, Steven, yeah, guys, Ronnie Grandal is your guy. He Let's he is he is he. Listen, listen, he is my guy. But at the same time, I'm going to be objective about this. Okay, I'm not going to be like you know dumbass Ken Wo out there who's just going to double down on his wrong opinions on things when one of my guys isn't getting the job done. I'm going to say it for the betterment of the Chicago White Sox, because at the end of the day, it's about the front, not about the back. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about you and Ken Wo in a little bit too. I've got to add that. Fuck down. Ken. Somebody, somebody write a note. We got to talk about Steven Ken Wo on the, uh, on the broadcast at some point here, because there's obvious tension in the room. Uh, between these two individuals, and we're going to have to get to the bottom of it. Sox on tap investigates. But, Steve, let's get back on uh, on track here. Sox added one on Jose Abreu, hitting, the, uh, I believe that turned out to be a double. Unable to scratch another run across there in the fifth. Let's hear some thoughts on that. More, more of the same, what we've seen from this team almost all year just the inability to consistently add on additional runs when they have the opportunity with fewer than two outs and runners in scoring position. Um, Unfortunately, you know, Yoan Mankata, a guy that has really been coming through in those situations of late because Yo knows clutch, despite what narratives you might see on Twitter.com, the numbers bear it out. Um, Unfortunately, he just got got in that at bat, took a third strike there, and then, you know, Yaz wasn't able to come through. After that, so you had a chance there to add on a pivotal run. I talked about this all year, and I will continue to try to drive this point home. Adding on multiple runs, putting up crooked numbers, that's how you win baseball games, particularly if you are a team that is not going to hit the baseball out of the ballpark. You can't just settle for one and done. If you could add that crooked number up there on the board, you're going to exponentially increase your chances of winning a baseball game. They weren't able to do it here. We've seen it far too often this year, and it's still frustrating as hell. Here we are on um, August 20th here for another 15 minutes, and it's still ungodly annoying. Steve, I just want to go to one at bat during that inning, and you, you talked about Yohan uh, Mancada not getting it done there. Um why are we not protecting the plate anymore here with the third strike? This has become a thing. And I will say, I love the fact that Yohan Mancada has turned it around in the clutch. I will preface it with he has been a driving force behind this team 
over this last little stretch here. He's outperformed my expectations, but I still think that we've had one last aspect of Johan Moncada's game in the plate approach where we are not protecting with three strikes. My personal analysis to this is Johan Moncada thinks his eye is better than the umpire. And that's been something that I've kind of thought that he's had for quite a while. I don't necessarily know that it's just that. I think far too often he just gets into guess mode um, where he's, you know, kind of just zoning in on one particular pitch and guessing up there. And if you get out guessed by a guy like Shane Bieber, who is a former Cy Young award winner, that's what can happen. Unfortunately. Um, I think that is one of the greater issues that has plagued him this season is he just gets caught in between too frequently because he is sitting up there looking for one specific pitch. And then if you don't get it, I mean, let's face the facts. If you're in a spot where you're behind in the count, two strikes, and you're thinking a pitcher is going to come at you with a breaking ball, and then he throws a fastball on you, you're toast. Even with Bieber being a guy that's only 91-92, if you're looking for something with a little wrinkle to it, and then you get that 91-92, you're done. And that gets compounded when you have that increase up the velocity band there, as we have seen far too often. Uh, from Mankata this year, taking called third strikes on fastballs. Um, seems like more so on the outer third than on other quadrants of the strike zone. But again, if you're going up there looking slider, if you're looking off speed with two strikes and someone pumps 97, 98 on you, you got no chance. And we see what the results are. It's just very unfortunate. I want some sort of approach change to happen there because I think it's going to really open things up for him. I don't know. It's it's just far too common with Johan Moncada and has been for a while, Steve. Uh, obviously, the Sox not able to scratch one across. I believe it was my boy, Gavin Sheets, who grounded uh, to second base there with uh, two outs after Moncada failed to put ball in play. Um, and the Sox strand the runner, go down, to the seventh inning, and I didn't really want to get to this or talk about this, but we're going to have to. Sox do play to run in this inning, but the major story, Steve, is not that the Sox were able to score during this inning. It's the fact that Yasmani Grandal suffered a horrific injury, and it didn't look good. I'm going to hand the floor to you. Because there's so much to unpack here. But Yasmani Grandal was sent on a ball hit by Elvis Andrews while he was on second base. And the play at the plate was sad and horrific. And I'll turn it to Steve. There are a number of things to unpack here. First and foremost, you have Yasmani Grandal on second base in the seventh inning of a one to nothing ball game against a team you are chasing with Shane Bieber on the mound. Apparently sleepy McDrunk face was in the midst of a little nap and didn't realize that he had Adam angle on the bench could have pinch run for him in that spot. Knowing that you have another catcher on your roster, Sebi Zavala that you could have used later on in the bottom half of the seventh inning. Boy, 
that would have really kind of turned things around there, but that's not why you called. So base hit up the middle, Elvis Andrus, Joe McEwing, you know, he, he's had about a week or two of us not calling out his terrible sins on this broadcast. And boy, did he really make up for it tonight? Literally deciding with no outs, no outs, mind you, to send the slowest base runner in the league, a guy that has scored on non-home runs, I believe five times all season. So he, for some reason, thought that this was a good idea to send Yasmani Grandal. And if you watch the replay, Grandal kind of turns around and looks. And it's almost like he's thinking to himself, is he, he's really, he's sending me in this spot right here. And he's, he's toast. Miles Straw makes a good throw, good, strong, accurate throw. And Grandal tries to evade the tag, runs out of the baseline. And in the process of so, plants wrong. And he just immediately goes down and he's clutching the knee. This is a, a guy that's 33 years old, going to be 34 in November, has had two knee procedures in the last 12 months. For a catcher, that's not good. So now you see this happening, and immediately all of White Sox Twitter collectively said to ourselves, that's a blown-out ACL. We will never see Yasmani Grandal in a White Sox uniform ever again. Um, because if that's a nine to 12 month process here, I mean, you don't see him till maybe July, August of next year. You got to face the facts here. The Sox have some roster construction issues. And we're pro- I'm probably jumping the gun here a little bit. And this is, but this is a serious discussion that's going to have to be had they will likely have to give serious consideration to DFAing Yasmani Grandal if it is indeed a torn ACL that is going to require a 12-month process here for him to recover because you need that roster spot. You're going to have to pay him the money anyway, and you can't afford to just burn the roster spot knowing some of the issues that this team has already. So the fact of the matter is that we will probably never see Yasmani Grandal in a White Sox uniform again. And for all the people this year that were bitching and moaning about his performance at the plate, saying that, oh, just get rid of my, I never want to see him in a Sox uniform again. Well, you've got your wish now because Joe McEwing inexplicably decided to send him home on a ball that should have never happened. And the guy's career may be over right now because he's going to be 34 in November, now going to have to potentially have a third knee procedure here in a 15-month stretch for a catcher, that could be a death nail in the career of Yasmani Grandal, and it sucks. It does, Steve, and there's there's a lot to unpack on this. And I, you know, I, I know you you threw out some Adam Engel stuff out there with Tony Larusa and everything. I, I want to cut past the crap here because, regardless of if Larusa pinch ran for him or whatever, the send by Joe McEwing on this play, at least to me, might be the most egregious thing I've ever seen in baseball. 
you've got a wet field. You've got the slowest runner in baseball. The game situation didn't even call for a send. And then knowing who was being sent there, to me, is absolutely fucking mind-boggling. I can't put two and two together on this play. What's, it's a fi- it just defies all all logic. It, it really you, you, does you, because when you add all of this up, Steve, when you add it all up, slowest runner, the game situation, the knee history, the other times he's been sent home before on plays that were less egregious than this, and then you got to start to take the external factors out. This is the highest paid White Sox free agent signing of all fucking time. This is going to haunt this organization. And the reason it's going to haunt this organization, Steve, is because a lot of the contracts they've handed out to free agents haven't worked because of shit like this. And if you think that Jerry Reinsdorf is going to go hand $300 million to somebody after what Yasmani Grand? You got to hand a hundred million dollars to someone before you, you hand three hundred million. You do, but that's why we're never going to advance any farther than this. Is because look at Dallas Keuchel and Yasmani Grandal are the two prime examples of this latest batch. Do you know how I'll, you train I'll push. A- I'm going to push back on that in, in in this regard because before this season. Yasmani Grandal was living up to the contract. That's fair. That's fair. And even though that there's some debate on last year's season, Steve, I will say that he still lived up to the contract because he was a productive member of the Chicago White Sox. In the second half, when he came in the second half, when he came back from his knee surgery, he was one of the five most productive offensive players in the entire sport. That is not debate. So that in itself, right there. But what, what? So what happened this year with him? Is this just rapid decline? Is it the injury was never fully healed? Did he go too hard in the second half of twenty one? Did they rush him back? These are all valid questions. So there. Okay. So there's a, there's a couple of things here. So he had the cleanup procedure in the off season, and then with the lockout that took place, not being able to do the rehab at the team facilities. Um, I've heard through the grapevine that he talked very openly about the fact that that played a significant role in his rehab process. Um, We can talk all we want about veteran guys. They should know what they have to do from a rehab standpoint and everything. But the fact of the matter is that these teams and the facilities that they have, especially in Arizona and Glendale, all everything that they that these guys need is right there. You've got the training staff there. You've got all the necessary equipment. That is the best possible way and the best place for them to do that rehab. So that apparently was a significant issue for him, unfortunately. And I think particularly for a guy that is 33 years old, you know, Anthony, you know this as, as someone that's in, in your 30s now, the body doesn't recover as well as it did when you were in your twenties. Can you, can you hashtag confirm that? Steven, I'm sitting here thinking to myself as you're, as you're talking 
on a Saturday night where I've consumed a considerable amount of victory beers. And I thought for a second I'm 30, but I think I'm actually 31. We're still hashtag working to confirm this information in my brain. I, I'm, I'm trying to find the answer here, but I'm pretty sure I'm 31. And as you talk about 33 and the Osmani Grandal stuff is coming up, Steve, I'm just, I'm very concerned. But you've passed these these numbers, so you have more experience than I do. So I'll toss it to you. It's probably not good. It's, in fact, not great, Bob. As um, you get closer to that 40 number, the little soreness, the little nagging injuries that you get from day to day, they're a lot more challenging. And... Is that hashtag confirmed? That is hashtag confirmed. Okay. And I'm not even someone that is having to squat every day for my job. So the amount of wear and tear that comes on a knee from playing the catching position is substantial. I I don't want to go down a huge rabbit hole, but why did the White Sox choose to spend that much money on a catcher in the rebuild? Because at that age, because that's knowing that that would be a risk. Because that's the market value. That's the market rate. Plain and simple. Steve never sk- skips legs. I did leg day <laughs> this morning. In fact, mind you, <laughs> this is fantastic, Steve. If Yasmani Grandal was doing as much leg day as you, would he be hashtag okay right now? I mean. That's all speculative, Your Honor. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I mean, uh, you know, anybody can plant weird if you're running trying to evade a tag. So, you know, the the squats and the debt and the deadlifts and uh, the the walking lunges and everything else that you can do to try to build a good strong foundation. Well, you you had Doctor Narav Shaw on on the show a couple two three weeks ago. I'm curious to once we get some diagnosis on this, we might have to bring Mr. Shaw back on here. Uh, sorry, not Mr. Shaw, Dr. Shaw back on here to figure out what this actually looks like. Steve, I'm kind of sad. I'm I'm kind of sad about this because in in the the grand scheme of things, Yasmani Grandal has not been good for the White Sox, and that's opened up a lot of voices on Twitter, myself included, to say, like, I don't want to see Yasmani Grandal in the White Sox lineup. I would have rather had Gavin Sheets at DH yesterday. There's a lot of people who are in that camp or throw somebody else out there. On the second side of that paper, there is Yasmani Grandal. Great career as a baseball player somebody who's given his body and time and dedication to the White Sox organization. At the end of the day, these guys are all humans. And then you see such an egregious send by Joe McEwing that we don't know the answers yet. But there's a lot of people out there saying, holy shit, that might be the last time you see Yasmani Grandal in a White Sox uniform. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair to Yasmani Grandal. I don't think that's fair to the the guy that's given his body to the White Sox. We're not talking about somebody who's question like no one's ever questioned 
Yasmani Grandal's toughness. No one's ever gone out and said Yasmani Grandal isn't out there trying. Yes, you've watched as a White Sox fan a pretty rapid decline over the 2022 season in a year where they really needed that production out of him that he had a couple years prior. As a person, watching him go out this way on the field tonight is really sad to me as a White Sox fan. It sucks. And I I love that you kind of said for all those people who never want to see Yasmani Grandal in the lineup again, it really puts things into perspective, Steve. I'm a huge perspective guy. I think at the end of the day. Baseball perspective? Yeah, some baseball perspective. (laughs) At the end of the day, this is not cool, man. It, It sucks to watch this. I hate seeing this. It's probably one of the more painful moments of the White Sox season to me to see him go down and have to get carried off the field when he's battled back from multiple injuries. The bat hasn't worked for him. Everybody's been hard on him. And then to have that happen, it just feels like real bum luck. And I I absolutely have feels for Yasmani Grandal right now because you know that's not what he would choose. You're you're spot on there, Anthony. And you know, the other thing too that I think should be mentioned here is Yasmani Grandal has held himself personally accountable for his struggles this season. He has not hidden from them. He has not been a guy like Nikki Swish back in 2008 who pouted and hid from the cameras when he was struggling or made excuses or like Dallas Keuchel who would go out there and would constantly blame everybody but himself. You know, Yaz kind of similar to Lance Lynn in a way where He's calling out the fact that he's been horseshit this year. He knows it. This is a guy that held, held himself to a very high standard. He's been a successful player for a really long time, been a part of a lot of really good teams. And to have the season that he's had to this point, it has to be unbelievably frustrating for him as a competitor. And then to see it come to conclusion and i know we're jumping the gun a little bit here we don't have the diagnosis yet here but we all saw what we saw here tonight it didn't look good good. yeah so especially because and i want to insert this they said that carlos perez this was tony la russa in the post game show carlos perez will be coming to uh chicago tomorrow and uh he's looked okay He's got but 17 home runs in Charlotte. It's, which... it's not Yasmani Grandal in his prime, though. There's there's a big problem, Steve. A lot of White Sox fans right now have this mindset of Yasmani Grandal over the over the 2022 season. It's not been great. So you hype up a bunch of other guys. You see a guy like Carlos Perez do this in AAA. That's not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be having the 2018 through 2020, 2021 Yasmani Grandal production out of that spot. You traded Zach Collins because he did not work for a guy like Reese McGuire. And obviously when push came to shove, Reese McGuire wasn't able to do the job. So you parted ways with him for Jake Diekman to give yourself some help. 
you're incredibly thin at catcher. There's no guarantees that Carlos Perez comes up and does anything, despite the scouting reports that say he could be a viable backup. The Sebi Zavala train, unfortunately, is the only train you're riding on the rest of the year, Steve. I don't think there's anything out there that you can go pick up like an Elvis Andrews. Um, I know we had a comment in here uh, that was asking that question. I don't think there's anything out there that you can go pick up, Steve. They're backed into a corner, and what kind of makes it even worse is that you paid a lot of money to not be in this position, and you are. Yeah, no, it's it is very difficult. Um, you know, kind of looking at Carlos Perez objectively here, this is a guy that has been more of a defensive first guy since he got into the organization when they signed him out of the DR um, as, a, as an amateur. And he's kind of risen his way up through the, through the system here. Um, he's got very good bat to ball skills. Doesn't swing and miss a lot. Makes a lot of contact. Doesn't strike out very much. Again, the 17 home runs this year in Charlotte could be a little bit misleading because that is a little bit of a band box there. But there are a lot of people that have always thought that this was a guy that was going to be a viable major league catcher, not necessarily an everyday one. So now you're in a position where you are going to have to platoon with him and with Sebi Zavala. And Sebi, we really have seen a precipitous decline for him offensively here since that hot start that he came up that was largely Babbitt-fueled. So, you know, you're kind of just in a position here where you've got to take what you can get out of the catching position. The one thing now that it really does is it clears up a little bit of the log jam that was taking place between Jose Abreu, Andrew Vaughn, and Gavin Sheets. This is really going to just, and honestly, what needs to happen at this point is Andrew Vaughn needs to be your everyday DH. Take his glove away unless, you know, you want to give Pito a blower and have him be a DH um, for, you know, a day in there. And I think especially right now, given some of the hamstring issues that he's got going on, it's probably good to get him off of his feet a little bit here and, and get him out of the field. So this does open up a little bit of flexibility from that standpoint. It sucks that it had to come under these circumstances here. But they're just going to have to make do with Carlos Perez and Sebi Zavala at the catcher position here for the remainder of the year. Unfortunately, and it's just whatever they get, they get at this point. And again, we're jumping the gun, but we saw what we saw. If there's any sort of injury update on Yasmani Grandal, we'll have it over for you at the ontapsportsnet.com. Uh, be sure you're checking that out for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Steve, we've got just a little bit left here. Let's close this ball game down. I think we talked a lot about what the injury was, what the ramifications of this are. It's very serious for this White Sox ball club. But the Sox were able to pull out a win today. Elvis Andrews had a very heads-up play right after this injury occurred to get the White Sox an insurance run. They wouldn't need it, but let's talk just a little bit about that real quick, and then we'll wrap this game. Yeah, I, I talked about this on Twitter.com. 
Look, Elvis Andrus is not a guy that is going to tip the scales a lot for the Sox. And I saw people when the signing was announced saying that, oh, this is just such a Sox move. And, and Sox fans are making a big deal out of a guy with a 670 OPS. We should be sitting the bar higher than this. The fact of the matter is it's August. You can't make waiver claims anymore. He became available. He's a veteran guy that has been in the league for over a decade, played in multiple World Series, played in a lot of playoff series during his time with the Texas Rangers. So he's very experienced. There's not going to be anything out there on a baseball field at the major league level that he hasn't seen before. That is a better option than Lenin Sosa or Romy Gonzalez at this point. You've got five weeks to try to erase a three-game deficit in the loss column. You're not in a position to where you can be worrying about a developmental process with guys like Sosa or Gonzalez here. You need stability, even if that stability means you're not going to get high-level offensive production. You just need to stay level with it. And that's what Elvis Andrus is going to provide, typically. It's not going to be flashy. It's not going to be great. but this situation here where he scores on on this throw, that's an example of, again, a veteran guy understanding situations and being able to make a quality read, have quality anticipation, and get across home plate. Because that runs huge right there. So that's, you know, that's a big thing. A guy like... Sosa or Gonzalez probably isn't going to be as aggressive in that particular situation and may not get as good of a read coming with, with that ball bouncing off of, of Tyler Maley's mask the way it did and Andrus immediately making the break towards home plate. That just comes from being a savvy veteran base runner right there. So that was a big play and um, that kind of shows what, Elvis Andrus brings to the table. Yeah, the Twins uh, make a mistake there, and the White Sox are able to capitalize. Not something that we Guardians. Well, or yeah, the Guardians. Sorry, I think I said the Twins. There's been you a did. lot of beers you consumed. Did. Been a lot of beers consumed. The Twins did lose tonight, though, Steve. Fuck the Twins. The twins did lose tonight, Steve. Uh, the Guardians made a mistake, rare mistake, and the White Sox are able to capitalize. Not something that we've been able to say very often on this show. And I think that that's kind of awesome that they did that. The veteran presence of Elvis Andrews, maybe, as Steve said, part of the equation there. Not sure. As always, we're working to confirm. Uh, That's about it in terms of offense in this game. Outside of the White Sox hashtag fake rallies, that's all you're going to get from your White Sox. Fortunately, Johnny Cueto works this all the way until the final out before giving way to Liam Hendricks. That's the last thing we have in this ballgame, Steve. Why pull Johnny Cueto with one out left to finish it? You have the floor. Look, I think in that particular situation in the, in the ninth inning, you've you've got to be careful, especially when you get one base runner out there. He was over 100-plus pitches at that point. So with the tying run at the plate, you're one pitch away from the lead disappearing. So 
I understand the move. Um, I think you can really go either way with it. Honestly, it's it's kind of a situation where if you know Sleepy McDrunkface leaves him in and he gives up the two run homer, well, I think we know how that would go within the fan base there. So no thought from you that Liam Hendricks would have given up a two run homer because I mean was, I, I, I mean it I, was I, brought I mean, up that uh, if Liam has to enter this game by Jason Benetti, that it wouldn't be a clean inning mm-hmm. and people would be upset about it. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it was... Look, I've seen Liam Hendricks blow games against Cleveland this year already, so I'm almost kind of numb to it, to be completely honest with you. Um, I will never get over that Monday night in May when... They blew that six run lead in the ninth inning that that is still to this day. And I'm not being hyperbolic at all. When I say the worst loss that I have ever experienced in person in my entire life. So that one has, has stayed with me here three months later. Um, So at the end of the day, I've seen that happen with Liam Hendricks already. That's a risk that you take, but again, you got Cueto in a, in a position where he hasn't gone nine innings. I, I mean, I don't even know when the last time was he threw a complete game. So the risk in that particular situation there of him potentially having a pitch kind of flatten out over the heart of the plate um, is a little more elevated. So either way, again, even if he had left Cueto in, I wouldn't have been terribly upset with it to be completely honest with you but at the end of the day you know they got the job done so and and let's let's also not forget here that um you know hernandez who um you know hendrix was able to strike out to end the game i mean tony la russa fears him so much that he walked him with two strikes yesterday so he he felt like he needed to go get his big gun out of the bullpen oh boy all right well the Sox were able to pull this one off Steve, I just wanted your your thoughts on this. We've got to close this down. We've already gone close to an hour here. I did promise we would talk about something. Our guy Voodoo has the notes on this. Notes. Talk about Steve and dumb fuck later in the postgame. You and Kenwo, not on great terms. Fuck Ken. We've got to get you and Kenwo on the show together. It would just be fantastic for everybody because we've got to bury the hatchet. Here's what I have to say about Kenneth. Whatever. (laughs) He's a mid-card jabron. He ain't worth my time. Fantastic, Steve. But really, you and and Ken need to do a post-game show together. I think the people would enjoy it. I hope, be, for, I hope for I hope for an I after hope, dark episode. I hope for the viewer's sake, his video isn't working that night. Because trust me, that's a face only a fucking mother could love. Wow, the smack talk is going down on socks on tap right now. Steve, Saturday night, socks won. We had victory, beers flowing. It's been a fantastic night to talk about White Sox baseball with you. Cowboy hats for Johnny Cueto, dude. Shove tonight. I don't have much else. We do have a ball game tomorrow, though. 
what do we've got in store for our Chicago White Sox? It's a quick turnaround. As I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, 11 a.m. first pitch on the Peacock I'm gonna, Network. I'm going to need some brunch. I mean, listen, 11 o'clock for me, that'll be like meal number two or number three on the day already at that point. So, you know, I'm going to be primed. I'm going to be ready to go. Um, we got Dylan Cease on the mound. So coming off of that outing against the Astros, one-on-one against Verlander, went out there. Ultimately, the team was able to come back, get a late-inning victory. I want to see Dylan go out there if this game does get played because the forecast is, in Cleveland does not look good tomorrow. It's not great, Bob. No, it's it's really not. So if they are able to get this thing in, Dylan, go out there. You got to pound this strike zone. I, I'm a broken record at this point. These Indians hitters, they're a team that Indians. I I'm I'm, I'm never not going to call them. That. Wow, I'm never not going to call them that. I, I, I call I, them the Twins. Yeah, you call them the Indians. I listen. I just... at least I at least had the same franchise. Okay, well, so you got to give yes. me that. I will yeah. give you that. I will give you that. It's it's getting late here. It 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 is. It is. But um go out there, establish command of the strike zone early, work ahead often. And these guys, they're not gonna strike out a lot historically, but maybe what you can do is you can take a little page out of Lance Lynn's book and what we saw Friday night, getting ahead with two strikes, utilizing that high spin fastball at the top part of the strike zone to get some swings and misses worked very well for Lance on Friday. Dylan, we all know he's got a little extra juice on that fastball versus what the big bastard has. So that could be a winning formula for Mr. Dylan Cease tomorrow. Got to pick the click. Um, You know, I think what we are going to see, we're going to see MVP though. He got the big hit today. He got the big double. But we're going to see him put it in those fucking seats tomorrow. We're going to see number 15 on the board. It's been a while since the Sox have deployed the multiple home runs. It it is. We're going to see some August Abreu tomorrow. All right. Well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to roll with Mr. A.J. Pollock. I like it. I like it. That's that's what we've got to do. A.J. Pollock set the tone. Jose Abreu, find the stands. It's a must-win ball game for the Chicago White Sox tomorrow. Steve, that's all I have for today. I don't really have any final thoughts besides go win a ball game. Win a fucking series. Win a series. There it is. That's all we've got. Thanks for tuning in to the Sox on Tap postgame show. Be sure you're following us at Sox on Tap on Twitter. Hop in the YouTube at on Tap Sportsnet. Steve. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.